Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? All right. If you've been listening to the last episode, then (laughs) you know that we are working through a three-part series on teacher questions, questions submitted by teachers all around stress, trauma, and the brain. So if you haven't listened to the last episode, definitely go back and listen to some of those questions. And today and next week, we are going to answer a couple more questions. So I will say that for these questions, I did not formulate my responses ahead of time. I did not really read the questions. I only looked at them to make sure there were no duplicates. These are totally off the cuff thoughts, mostly backed by research, almost completely backed by research, but I just love kind of these I think off the cuff is really the best word. I love these questions and answering without really reviewing a lot and just sharing whatever comes to mind immediately. I It's the way I coach and I always encourage people to ask questions during workshops. So this is just, this is, these episodes are fun to me. So let's jump in. How do you tell what stress level your students are at? Good question. I would say this first and foremost. They are harder to probably read than you think, but we also move so fast through our day that we overlook some very subtle signs. And better than guessing where your students are at, ask them. If they actually have a moment to pause and reflect and think about where they are on the emotional scale or stress, they can probably give you a pretty good response, even young kids. So you can have different ways for sharing how you're stressed. It can be a hand signal. It can be a visual image. It can be a color. It can be uh, sharing as a group, sharing anonymously, a sign or manipulation or tool on the desk. It can be self-reporting. There's just so many ways to check the emotional temperature of a classroom and doing so in a large group, small group, individuals, all kinds of things. So I would say, don't guess where they're at, ask where they're at and pause frequently and regularly, whether you notice their stress or not, just to check in, just to have everyone pause and think about themselves and think about where they're at and and do that regularly before the start of a lesson or midway in a lesson. It's a good habit to get into. And check your own stress levels too, because if you see their stress levels going up, you might ask yourself, are your stress levels going up? I mean, of course, if theirs are, yours are going to follow, but have yours gone up and they are just reflecting your elevated state? It's always something good to think about. All right. Question number two, what are the indicators of stress that 
a student may demonstrate essentially what are the signs of stress different for each person displays very differently for different people. Some people are more outward expressors, some more inward expressors. Both um, are cause for concern, but I would say that the inward expressors are probably overlooked. It are overlooked a lot more than outward because the outward expressors are more verbal or they're more uh, physical or maybe even aggressive. So it's just a lot easier to notice and see them. I would say the most common signs of chronic ongoing stress are probably like physical symptoms. They start to develop. Like if kids are getting sick a lot or they're complaining of like stomach aches, can often be signs of stress. There, there's a lot of tension. So think of like when there's too much stress in the body, things get tight. And when things get tight, it starts to cause pain. So muscle pain, headaches, burning in the chest or the stomach, like tightening or squeezing of the stomach, like indigestion. So it could even be like tightness in the chest or chest pains. And, and all of those symptoms can actually lead to physical problems like high blood pressure uh, or sleep problems. There's so much tension in the body, it's hard to sleep. And then you're, you get kids who are fatigued, uh, depending on, again, the type of person and what type of stress they're experiencing, they can have panic attacks or anxiety attacks or go into depressive states, or they can have asthma attacks or difficulty breathing. So there are lots of different things that could lead to stress, especially if like, like if kids are um, talking really fast or uh, like dizziness, uh, constipation, even diarrhea, um, neglecting little things, procrastinating, incessant worrying, feeling overwhelmed. There are so many different signs of stress. It's really hard to determine. And anymore, I think most kids are stressed most days. So a lot of these signs and symptoms are there every day. So it's kind of hard to recognize because it seems like it's a pretty regular thing. Um, so I would just say, pay attention to when kids are acting differently. If something is different for them, like noticeably different, then there's something probably going on. Use your intuition. How does stress help or hinder the retention of material? Good question. So if you listened to last episode, I talked about how stress isn't always bad, that little doses of stress and tolerable doses of stress actually help us to become more resilient, more strong, learn better and retain information. But when we are dealing with chronic and ongoing stress, it can actually damage like the neural pathways and the pathway to memory. So essentially what happens is when we are learning something new, it comes in through the different senses. So visual, auditory, kind of, uh, touch, feel, taste, all those things. Uh, maybe not all at one time, but sometimes all at one time. When that information comes in, it goes kind of to the back of the brain. The back of the brain kind of like sends it out to the right um, part of the, the lobes, the, the correct lobes end of the day. And my brain is working pretty slow right now in through the senses, back of the brain to the lobes, the lobes then take it and send it down to the amygdala. And for those of you who don't know, the amygdala is kind of an essential part of the brain. It's in the emotional part of the brain and the amygdala is like the gatekeeper. It's the part of the brain that says like, yes, we're a go send that into storage for long-term memory 
or I'm not so sure about this. Let me send it down downstairs and uh, solicit some help from my friends. And uh, when that happens, then memory can be lost because then the emotional brain kind of kicks in and takes over and hijacks the thinking brain and memories just get distorted or lost or not stored. So it makes me think a little bit of like the movie Inside Out and the emotions, now, like the file systems. And maybe I'm thinking of soul. I think I'm thinking of soul. <laughs> For those of you who've seen either of the Disney movies, I just think of like these filing systems and how the, the paper is supposed to be filed in the right system. And when stress comes into play, it's like it gets past all these different people. And then when someone's stressed, they misplace it and never lands in the file and it never gets to be stored or like it gets damaged in its way to storage and doesn't get stored properly or correctly. So stress can help with material retention if it's tolerable and if it's chronic and ongoing and toxic, it will hinder the ability to remember information. So that is your answer in a nutshell. Does constant interconnectedness help or exacerbate stress or trauma? I'm not fully and hundred percent sure exactly what this particular person means by interconnectedness, but what I am thinking of as interconnectedness is like connectedness, a lot of connectedness and like interwoven. So for me, when I think about that, um, I can't think of that really necessarily being a bad thing unless you're over-dependent on someone or something, but, um, connectedness is kind of the core of our beings. We grew developed out of these hunter-gatherer tribes where we had to be connected to survive. So our brains developed that way. So when we do feel connected, we feel safe. We feel a part of, we feel like we belong and everything kind of works better. So um, I would say that interconnectedness is going to help not to exacerbate stress. How to prioritize social and emotional learning and subject-specific content in all all in one class. This is tough. And this is a question I get a lot and it's really hard to do. So I would say this social and emotional learning does not need to be separate of a subject area. You can embed little moments of SEL into your subject area content. And a lot of SEL for me is like groundwork and framework. Groundwork's a better word. Groundwork stuff. So it's like stuff I put in place early in the year when I'm setting up systems with my students and it's stuff I do in my little moments throughout the day. It's my interactions. It's how I ask questions. It's how I respond to misbehavior. It's how I respond to a class that's unruly or disorganized or not listening. I embed social emotional learning and literacy all throughout my class periods, all throughout my day. It's not necessarily a separate thing that I teach. Do some students need more explicit teaching of these concepts? Yes, definitely. So I might pull a student or small group of students to kind of teach some of these things, but a lot of it is just the groundwork I set in the beginning of the year and I keep up with throughout my, my daily interactions. So I don't really prioritize one or the other or try and integrate both as separate individual pieces. I just seamlessly weave SEL through the teaching of the subject. How do years of trauma and abuse affect a child's learning and processing of information? 
This is kind of like the question about retention of material. So again, to reiterate, the more time your brain spends in abusive states or in traumatic states or chronically stressful states, things start to deteriorate. Remember that tension that also is true in the brain. Like things just don't wire and fire and connect as well when there's heaviness to them. And because of that, when things don't move as fast as they're supposed to, or stay connected in the brain as well as they are supposed to, processing is slower, storage is longer, and a child's learning is typically delayed. They're not necessarily delayed in that they might be diagnosed with some type of disability or delay or anything like that. It just takes more time. And I can, I can say this from experience is a child was raised in a very traumatic environment as a child and ongoing stress and trauma for years. When I got to grades where it was harder and it wasn't so easy, I struggled and I, I always did really well academically, but I always felt like it was so much harder for me to remember information than others. And I would like talk to peers and friends. I'm like, I don't know how everyone's remembering this information. And I, I even like with reading, I have to go back and reread because I'd forget what I had read. And even as an adult, I still am like, whoa, okay. I just forgot what I've read for the last three pages. Back we go. And I think a lot of that has to do with a lot of chronic and, and traumatic stress as a child and systems just slowing down and energy from those systems going into like preservation. They're going into protect me. And when those cellular things are are in protection mode. So much energy goes elsewhere and it doesn't go towards learning. So it's harder to activate memory. It's harder to store memories. It's harder to store solid and good memories. So those things have a lot of impact on the processing of information and the storage of it. How can we weave stress reduction into the day for our students and our staff? Well, I would say a couple of things. One, much much like my previous answer about kind of interweaving SEL into subject areas, I do the same with stress reduction. It's not a separate thing. I weave it into the small moments, into the transitions, into the moments of like stillness or slower moving parts of the day, uh, beginning and end of the day. And it's not always directly taught. A lot of times it's modeled. I just model for my students what I do to reduce my own stress. I, I speak out loud while I'm doing it. And a lot of time, a lot of times those interactions are 30 to 60 seconds long. So as far as how to reduce stress or how to weave stress reduction into my day for students. It's just natural. I just know myself well enough to know what I need. I know my students and their age group well enough to know what potentially could be helpful for them. And I do a lot of modeling and talking out loud about when and how, and, and it's very natural integration. As far as um, how to weave stress reduction into the day for staff, definitely much harder. Um, I think it needs to be a culture. I think that the school needs to work together to put an action plan in place about stress reduction and stress management. 
and everyone needs to be a part of and on board with and um, have a rollout of a program. So there are certainly little things, but I would say the best thing to do isn't like a one-off this, a, a session here, uh, someone coming in and running a PD. The best thing for stress reduction is again, that culture and that setting that framework and like teaching your staff the skills to use in the moment and throughout the day and teaching it to be uh, a part of the day all day instead of extra added things. Like you can create a nice little staff meditation room, but how frequently is staff going to get there? How motivated is staff going to be to use that? So I would just really focus on culture because culture makes people happier and it increases all the happy chemicals. So if you have people who feel like they are appreciated, feel like they are thanked, feel like they are heard, uh, things typically go better. And then I would say environmental reminders are good for staff. So can you put environmental reminders around the building, in offices, in teacher spaces, in classrooms that remind teachers to take care of themselves? We need that visual reminder because our head's in so many different places throughout the day. So lots of little visual reminders of things to do or things to access or things that we can send them that are like physical um, options are all good things for stress reduction. But again, it's it's an ongoing practice. It's not a one-off thing. It's not a quick fix. It's little things that we can do every day throughout the day and uh, do regularly and frequently. Habits, lots of habits. And that's all I'm going to do for today. We've got one more episode of teacher questions and you'll have to hang on for the future to get another round of these after our next series, which I am very excited to introduce. We're going to do a little bit of like a book study. I have read a ridiculous amount of books in the last 15 years and took deep notes on all those books. So I'm going to kind of do like a book club with you all, talk about the book, talk about what it's about, talk about some things that took away from the book and talk about how to integrate that into your home or your classroom. So let's wrap up the show with our try to home tip, which is locus of control. If you don't know what this is, Google locus of control. There's a pretty cool visual that shows you kind of like an onion of things that are in and out of your control. And when we are feeling stressed, we typically try to control everything. And we try and control a lot of things that are not within our locus of control and it causes more stress. And then we spiral. If you focus what's on what's in or inside of your locus of control, things that you have control over, whether you're stressed or not stressed, you will feel less stressed. So when things feel like they're spiraling or things feel like they're out of control or you feel stressed or you feel anxious, go back to what can you control? What can you do with what's inside of your locus of control? Put your energy there and that zone will expand and help you to feel better and feel like you have a better sense of control. It's little doses of control that make you feel much better, much safer. And that's it for today's episode of Returning to Us Podcast. Remember, our tried at home tip, which is the locus of control. And if you are looking for more support in areas of stress, trauma, behavior of the brain, I would love to be a part of your learning journey. The Behavior Hub offers a variety and range of supports from coaching programs to online courses. And I even offer university credit for those courses. If you want to learn more, shoot me an email through the Behavior Hub website or a text 717-693-7744. 
And don't forget to lock in what you learned today by sharing it with someone else, sharing this episode with someone else, maybe even commenting below and letting me know what your biggest takeaway was. Until next episode, I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thank you for joining me. Thank you.